You know, the Lord, when he was teaching the disciples, he was trying to impress on them that it's going to be a rough ministry because of the oppression or the, the opposition of the enemy and the depression that comes with it sometimes. And so he said to them in John chapter 12, verse 4, he, that's talking about the Father in heaven, has blinded their eyes and deafened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. It sounds like a confusing statement. Why would God blind the very eyes, which of course is not physical, it's to see the gospel, to hear the gospel. Why would God purposely do that? And it says in Romans 1, but it also talks about it in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. If you're disobedient to what the Lord has said, he can bring a spirit of deception. It's called blindness here. And you say, if there's a spirit of deception on us, that should alarm us when, our, when people that love us tell us there's something wrong. We should be concerned about it and do something about it called repentance. But if people don't do that, if they just go on, as you will see in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, he's talking about how because of their disobedience and their refusal to repent, he hands them over to something else. And I would say basically most of the world today is under that blindness because the Bible says <clears throat> that the prince of this age is in charge of the world, what goes on in the world. Doesn't mean that God is helpless and can't do anything. It's because he's allowed that to happen and we who were put in charge of the world back in the first and second chapter of Genesis. We were in charge of the world. We're the ones that should have kept it clean and not involved in sin and bondage. And then in the case of Romans chapter 1, God come, every once in a while hands us over into something worse with the hope that we'll become concerned and turn back to him. So when he says here, he has blinded their eyes and deafened their hearts. They can neither see nor understand. And he said, if they did, they would turn and I would heal them, but they don't want the responsibility then that they would have to face up to that, hey, the Lord has restored us. So they don't even want to do that. And so, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, the verse I referred to a second ago, has blinded the eyes, the minds of the unbelievers and the eyes too, according to John 12, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of God, who is the image of God. So on one hand, Jesus saying the Father has done it, but this is what happens. The Father makes a decision to try to 
get the attention of his people. And that gives the enemy permission to go ahead and do something. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that the God of this age is blinded. It's God that gave him permission to do that. <clears throat> you understand the free will of man. God doesn't violate the free will that he's given us. But he's, when it comes to a sinful nation and a sinful lifestyle in individuals, he's constantly doing something to try to get us alarmed, try to get us to turn around and come back to him. And so that's why it tells us, yes, we are blinded. We're a people that are blinded. And the stuff that's going on in many nations, with, whether it be governments, churches, or education, whatever it is, anybody that knows the Word of God would say, why are they going the very extreme to what the Word of God says? If God says this, why are they going the other way? And it's because part of that blindness is the defiance that wants to say, I want to do the opposite of what God wants because I don't want to come under his lordship and under his control because I want to serve self. And when you serve self, you're doing exactly what the enemy wanted you to do. And so we have, we have nations that are living in sin, people that are living in sin, and God is waiting patiently for somewhere for them to hear or to see or to become alarmed about the things that are happening. Because the Lord says in the Old Testament, nothing happens without him being in charge of it. He knows what's happening. He's trying to get our attention. In 2 Thessalonians, it says in that passage of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians, they perish because they refuse to love the truth. And so be saved. And so there's something about sin and deception that the old carnal nature is drawn towards. And it's our job to say, no, I'm going to resist that. And Jesus called it where you take up your cross. The cross is my flesh wants to do one thing, but I need to be crucified to that and say, I'm going to do what the Lord says. That's what living the Christian life is all about. Then he says, and Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. Again, it's God that's sending it. Why? Because he is longing for us to be concerned about our state, longing for us to say, we are in trouble here. But you see, we don't admit all the way from top down. We don't admit that we're wrong. And it says in verse 12 of 2 Thessalonians, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. And so his desire, the Bible says, is that not anybody should perish. So he's putting pressure on us as a nation, as a people, as a community, as a church, as a family, whatever it might be. He's putting pressure on us that we would become alarmed and say, I've got to turn back. I don't like where we're going. 
I want to turn back. That's what he wants. That's what he's working for. But it doesn't seem to be working very well in my nation and many nations. But that's his plan. If we won't listen to our Christian leaders, if we don't listen to the prophets that are, are speaking warning to us, then he has to do something more drastic in order to get us to come back to him. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't bother. You understand that. His love for us is so extensive that he actually came to the cross in the form of a man, allowed himself to be beaten and crucified so we would have a way to come back to him. But by and large, we have rejected it. As a nation, we have rejected it. And then Paul was hit on the Damascus Road. He was an enemy of the church. I trust you know the story from the book of Acts. He was an enemy of the church. And he's going over to Damascus to arrest some of the Christians and put them in jail. He approved of Stephen's murder when they stoned him to death. It said he approved of it. Actually held the clothes of the people that were doing it so they could throw the stones. But then he was hit on the Damascus Road. And he now in Acts 26 is recounting this in a defense because he's been arrested for some miracles and preaching the gospel. And he's, def and he's giving his defense and, he, and the Lord, he said, when I was on the Damascus Road, the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said, among other things, this is one thing he said. The Lord Jesus said, I am sending you, and he was talking to the Jews and the Gentiles. And of course, it was to preach the gospel. Now listen what he says in verse 18. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, working back, he wants people to come in. The body of Christ, he wants more to come in, to be there sanctified. And sanctified means to be set apart, clean and holy, set apart as different from the world. And he says, I want to forgive them for their sins. And I want them to recognize the power of Satan, what's going on. And in order to do that, I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal and deliver people, to open their eyes. And you understand, in three of the letters that Paul writes, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, and the Romans, in those three letters, he makes it clear that the church in those three different cities was established by signs and wonders. In other words, people are healed, people delivered, and it opens their eyes when they realize here's a power that we are not serving. This is a different power than what we've been serving because the one we've served has basically destroyed our lives. So it's interesting. God said, I've allowed their eyes to be closed, but I'm giving you the authority to open them. 
And the same Spirit that gave Paul the authority to open eyes, that same anointing, that same Spirit is still with us today and available if we're willing to die to what we want, die to what the world expects, the family to expect, or anybody else, die to all that stuff and say, I want to serve the Lord with a whole heart. It doesn't always mean you have to quit your job. Even Paul, even though he's well-educated, made tents to support himself, there's nothing wrong, but there should be something within our hearts that say, I want to be part of the company of people that would open the eyes of those that are blinded to their deception, deaf to the teaching. I want to be part of the people that open their eyes so that they can come to salvation and be included in the family of God. Ephesians 6, 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So our enemy is not the people around us, the people of the world, people that are even threatening our lives because we preach the gospel. That's not our enemy. You see, when Paul was in prison writing these letters, it was common for him to say something, I'm in chains, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't he say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans? or of the Jews, but he didn't. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there because of the gospel, and he was not ashamed of it. And he, didn't, and, and he also says that he was content in every situation that he found himself in, which, by the way, is a choice. You make a choice to be content in that situation, whether it be in prison or wherever it is. So what we need to do in order to get on this group of people that will open the eyes of the unbelievers, which I would hope the church today would stand up and say, yes, we want to be part of that company. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen. I wish it would. But this is what the Lord spoke to me years ago. And I've seen it happening, and I know it's going to happen more. He gave me a prophecy of Gideon. And he was saying to me, the person that was speaking to me said, you don't need the 32,000 to defeat the Moabites. You don't need even the 3,000. All you need is the 300. In other words, the army can be small and still because of dedication and the desire to serve God and to see his kingdom go forward, to please him in everything we do, 
we can be part of that company. And I don't think we need to have everybody on board to do it. Gideon's army is proof of that. As a matter of fact, it was God who cut the army back because he said, I want you to be able to say it wasn't us that defeated Moabite. It was the Lord God because we did it with 300 people against this vast army. We did it. So therefore, it was the Lord God. That's the way he sets it up so we don't take credit for what he's doing. Psalm 107, verse 20. This is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to... It says here, he sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now, the healing is not just physical, although many times it was. It's also the healing of the mind, the emotions from the wounds or hurts and all that stuff. But how does he do the healing physically or emotionally? How does he do it? He sends forth a word. doesn't say he's thinking about it. He spoke it. He spoke it out. Hebrews 11, verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So again, the word of God is so powerful and God is saying through the Holy Spirit to us today, just as Jesus said on the Damascus road to Paul, when you speak the word of God, you can open the eyes of the blind. You can open their understanding in their minds so that I can save them and forgive them. So it's exciting what God has in store for us, you know. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable things, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So here we are. We're a people that we say, yes, we're born again people. We've been forgiven for our sins and we've been born again. What is it that caused us to be born again? The spoken word of God. It is like a seed that comes into us and it's a seed that causes us to be born again to living hope, to eternal life. It says in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so Paul was told, what's on your tongue can open their eyes, can give them understanding. And that same promise is for us today. We can bring life to people. We can bring newness of life by becoming the evangelists, becoming the prophets, becoming the pastors, whatever it takes to start to speak the word of God to people, to speak it to people that don't even know him, to be able to give them a scripture once in a while, to be able to speak into their life as a promise of God or something they need in order to come to a place of recognizing that they now see I now understand. But God has appointed us as his vehicles to give messages. That's what they end, the very end of the book of Matthew. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 1 Kings 3.9 
I want to touch this because here's the way that we should go to leaders. In prayer, maybe first of all, people that are in places of leadership and government, education, business, whatever it might be. Why don't you start praying for leaders? Like Solomon prayed, Lord, give me this, I need this. Because God had asked him, what can I do for you? And he says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Wouldn't it be something if some of the leadership today that have got our, our country, our communities, our, our educational systems, they're going the wrong way. And somebody would say to them, I'm praying for you, sir or madam. I'm praying for you that God would give you a discerning heart to govern the department that you're in charge of, that you would be able to discern between right and wrong. Listen, the Word of God can open the eyes of somebody. I don't care how high in authority they are above you. The Word of God can open their eyes to understand and to see that there is a God that wants to help. There's lots of other ways to pray for your leaders, but we need to watch over them. We also need to pray for our, our neighbors back in Jeremiah. This is what God says to Jeremiah in chapter 22. He says in verse 3, this is what the Lord says. Do, do what is right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the alien, the fatherless or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. So all of a sudden, my neighbor, Mamie's hurting because some injustice, something has gone wrong. It's the Christian's job to come alongside and say, we're standing with you. The Lord has promised that it's going to get better if you'll turn your heart to him and call out on him to help you. You can pray things like that for him. You can say things like that. And then there's the, the one who is an alien, those that are coming into our, our community, into our, our country, into our, into our, our next door. And we don't like the fact that they have different standards. They don't clean up their yard like we do. They don't have a nice car or whatever it might be. What does the Lord say? You don't do something wrong to them. You don't do violence to them. They're people created by God. Maybe they have wrong ideas. Maybe they have agenda to destroy the very country they're moving to. Maybe they have hatred for people. But listen, we serve a God who tells us to love our enemies. And so to be able to ask the Lord in prayer, what can I do to bless that neighbor of mine? What can I do? Because they're different religion, different philosophy, different orientation as far as government's concerned. What can I do, Lord? And he is very 
dependable to be able to say, why don't you invite the lady over for coffee or something like that, you see. To be able to say, here we are. I'm not your enemy. I'm not your enemy. And then there's the fatherless. There's some countries now where people that are growing up or even in their 20s and 30s never had a father. Here in my country, over half of them grew up in a divorced home where there was no father in the home. Or the widow. That may not just be those who've had a husband die on them. That is also the, the, the single mom who's looking after a family. See, he's calling us to be friends with these people. Stop thinking about the world evangelism because that scares Christians. That's what it is, but we shouldn't think about that. Just think about, Lord, what can I do to ease the pain of that neighbor there or, or the neighbor over there, to ease their, their troubles, to help them through a, a thing, you see. Do you know what you're doing? You're opening the eyes of their understanding. They're opening the mind, the heart, everything that God wants to do for them. You're starting the groundwork to bring them into a place of being able to say, yes, I've heard there is a gospel. Yes, I've heard there is a God who's nice to me. So here's some things asking the Lord to open the eyes of the people of this nation. That's what we can do. Asking the Lord to draw their hearts to want truth. Asking the Lord to give them a hunger for his word. Asking the Lord to give them a desire for his presence. And you might have many other things that you might, that they, they would have a love for the word of God. That they would start to be concerned about what they see in the future because they know where they've been going is the wrong direction. Their eyes would be open to that. We are called by God to open the eyes of their hearts, open their minds to understand. We're called of God to do that. I don't want to stand on the judgment day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want him to say to me, Howard, what did you do with my word? When it came to that neighbor of yours, what did you do with it? I want to be able to say, yes, Lord, I spoke that word to them. And you see, I'm not responsible for the results. I'm only responsible to do it. The results are up to God. And yet, if you continue on loving on that person, continue on showing respect and showing a concern for their need, whatever it might be. I'm sure Jesus would say, well, that's all I asked you to do. Just speak my word to them, encourage them. That's all I asked you to do. So Father, I want you to get some people from this message, people that have heard this, that would say, yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, I'm going to start encouraging people. I'm going to open the eyes of those that don't see, and I'm going to open their minds of those who don't understand. Thank you, Lord God. Amen.
please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.